Let's pray. Our Father, we come to you. We are before you. Uh, we thank you for the privilege of being in your presence. What makes this gathering special and what makes the gathering of your people everywhere special is because you are present with them in accordance with your promises. And lo, I am with you, the Lord Jesus said, even to the end of this age. Father, thank you that we can rest in that. We can rest in the fact that individually when we are scattered in the world and corporately when we are gathered as your body, as the Lord Jesus' body, as a church family, a church community, you are right there as our loving Heavenly Father by your Spirit present. And so, Lord, we pray that this morning that will be our experience in our singing and in our interaction, in hearing your word, in giving, in everything that we do. Father, we will be conscious of the fact that you are here, you who move among the seven lampstands. You are here to purify and encourage and exalt and strengthen and rebuke and challenge and bring to repentance and bring to faith in Jesus we beg you that this will be our experience. We pray that as we uh, listen to your word together, that if there is any amongst us who is in the place of confusion and questioning and tiredness and pain and frustration, that somehow by your Holy Spirit, Lord, you will illuminate us. You will open our eyes to see that we might be encouraged and we might be moved to worship. In Jesus' name, amen. amen. So I'm continuing with the, um, the series that we're going through, How to Change. And this morning, I'm going to be speaking on God uses suffering to change us. God uses suffering to change us. Now, they are all boasting. They are boasting of their skills and abilities to speak because they are so eloquent. And they are seeking to make a following for themselves in the church. And they are saying of the apostle of the Lord Jesus Christ, of Paul, that he's unskilled in speaking, he is weak. His personal presence is unimpressive. Why follow such an apostle? When we are impressive and you listen to the way we speak and the way we carry ourselves, you get the understanding that we are special. We are indeed the super apostles. He is nothing. Stop following Paul. Follow us. And then Apostle Paul speaks about these people who are saying these things to the church in Corinth. We find that in a bit of that in the passage that was read for us, 2 Corinthians, the second letter of apostles, Apostle Paul to the church that was in Corinth. He says this 
in describing these people. I do not think that I am the least inferior to those super apostles. I may indeed be untrained as a speaker, but I do have knowledge. We have made this perfectly clear to you in every way. Was it a sin for me to lower myself in order to elevate you by preaching the gospel of God to you free of charge? I robbed other churches by receiving support from them so as to serve you. And when I was with you and needed something, I was not a burden to anyone. For the brothers who came from Macedonia supplied what I needed. I have kept myself from being a burden to you in any way, and I will continue to do so. So unlike the super apostles, just listen to the description, who boast in their skills. There is a lot of boasting in 2 Corinthians. They boast in their skills. To them, they say that, look at us. We have no suffering. We are strong men. Paul is a weak man. But look at Paul. He's riddled. He's riddled with weakness and suffering. In fact, Paul himself talks about it in 2 Corinthians. When he was talking about the various things that he had had to endure. He had had to endure beatings, flogging, shipwreck, hunger, cold, all kinds of things. He has had to endure suffering. Does that make him less of a servant of God? And whereas others are boasting in their skills and they are boasting in the fact that they have no suffering, Paul is saying that uh, this kind of suffering, this kind of boasting reflects the understanding that you do not, you do not understand how God uses suffering and pain in the true believer's life. Or you boast in yourselves and your skills and whatever you think you have and you bring me down as a result of my suffering and pain and the so-called weakness that you observe in me because you are revealing that you don't understand how God works through suffering and pain to change the believer. And so for the passage that was read for us, I'm going to try to capture it under three main points. The first one is this. Suffering is good for your heart. Suffering and pain is good for your heart. Look at verse 7, he says. Verse 7, the ESV translates, um, repeats what I'm going to point out twice. The NIV um, doesn't. Verse 7, to keep me from becoming conceited. To keep me from becoming proud of myself. To keep me from exalting myself. To keep me where I should be in the sight of God. Not where the devil or my flesh or the world wants me to be. To keep me from becoming proud and boastful in myself. No, wait before we even explain it further. We're talking about the apostle Paul speaking here. The Apostle Paul says that he was also prone. He was also, um, how do you say this in English, apart from prone? 
He was also open. Open is not the word. Susceptible. But I fear that if I use that word, I won't pronounce it well. <laughs> For Paul was... Thank you, church. By his nature, until he is perfected, he is also prone to the temptation of pride. How and why? Why would Paul? And then he tells us the reason. The reason is in verse 12 to verse 6. He doesn't mention himself, but we all know he's talking about himself. He says, I know a man in Christ who 14 years ago was caught up in the third heaven. It was in the, um, whether it was in the body or out of the body, I do not know. God knows. And I know that this man, whether in the body or apart from the body, I do not know. But God knows this man was caught up to, the, to paradise and had inexpressible things. Things that no one is permitted to tell. I will boast about a man like that. But I will not boast about myself except about my weakness. Even if I should choose to boast. I will not be a fool because I will be speaking the truth, but I refrain so that no one will think more of me than is warranted by what I do or say. What is, talk, what is he talking about? Now, unlike these super apostles who were boasting so much in themselves, Paul, whilst he was still here on earth, whether it was what you would call a trance or it was physically being transported there, he doesn't actually know what happened. What he knows is that he was brought into heaven whilst he was still here on earth. Not when he died. And he saw things in heaven. And he heard things in heaven. More like the apostle John. But here we don't even know whether he was sleeping and saw it. No, but he saw things, real things in heaven and had real things. And those things, no human being is allowed to speak it. And that is why he doesn't tell us. Perhaps when we get to the new creation, we will see it. And so Paul is at this height 14 years ago, height of his ministry, to the point that he will get a royal invitation into the very, very presence of God and see and hear things. And he could say that God is using me. God is blessing my ministry. God is opening doors to me. Uh, opening incredible doors to me. To the point that even God, even God was pleased to invite me into heaven to see and to hear things. A man was uh, talking uh, to other people to show how important uh, a Christian man he, he was. And you know the yastic of his importance. Here is it. He told the other people that, do they know who he is? And that he is the armor bearer. Who is the armor bearer in the way we, we have used it in our circles? He carries the Bible of a great man of God in this country. That is what makes him such an important fellow. Do you know who I am? I, I thought you said the Bible belongs to you. You are the great man of God. He carries the Bible of one of the great men of God in the land. And so people shouldn't talk to him by heart, as we say. 
<laughs> well, if that is something for you to boast in, I'm giving you one that you could. Paul says that if I should boast in this, I wouldn't be a fool because it is true. I was actually caught up in the third heaven. Paul appeared before God in heaven. I don't know whether he saw God, but he was there. What he calls paradise in this version. And so what could possibly go wrong at this height of this man's ministry? And Paul understands this. He understands that our heart is always, always prone to pride. Our heart is always prone to lifting ourselves up and wanting to be lifted up on account of what we believe we have done or seen or heard or accomplished. That is a human heart. So the very thing that God shows him, for whatever reason, Paul understands that this very, very good thing, incredible privilege, is the very thing that could lead me to look into myself as though I have reached to the point that even God will give me a royal invitation to see something of heaven. So he says in verse 7 again, so to keep me from becoming conceited of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. What happened? A thorn was given me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. So that I don't become conceited, to keep me from becoming conceited. A thorn was given me in the flesh. Now, picture this. Like the, the spear that pierced Jesus' side. In a sense, you get the, 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 the sense, the picture that Paul was giving a thorn to his side. I don't know where exactly it was. But let's picture it that way. We are most open to temptation when things are so good for us. When we are experiencing successes. When we feel we are being lifted up. When we look at the others and we are in such a good place, that is when you are most vulnerable because of the nature of our hearts. When God does something, it easily turns it around and looks within and exhausts itself. We praise God for this, but actually, I have also done well, isn't it? So even though God is doing great and good things with us, our heart always wants to boast in those things rather than in God. That is our hearts, brothers and sisters. As if we have done it ourselves. And God knows that. Isn't that amazing? The Lord Jesus, our Lord, knows that. He knows that and so he puts things in place by his grace to take care of our hearts. To take care of Paul's hearts. The great Apostle Paul. How does he do it? The second point. God gave Paul a thorn. You know a thorn? When you are going through the bushes and you pass by a plant that has, in Kase, that has thorns. Now you get it, isn't it? That's why you laugh. And they are pricking you. And they are not comfortable at all. So that God will keep Paul this man that we're talking about in the Bible who is a servant of Jesus, still looking to Jesus and trusting him humbly, reflecting Jesus 
Jesus' humility. God gave him a lot of inkase. God gave him thorns. Verse 7b. Look at something that is very interesting about verse 7b. We usually do not want to look at it that way. A thorn was given Paul. And then he says it was from a messenger of Satan. Actually, that's, you could look at it this way. A messenger of Satan, a demon to harass. Other versions will say to torment Paul. Now, we do not know how it looked like or it felt like. We don't even know whether it was his own physical health or it was people in the church who just made life difficult. We don't know. We don't know what it is. But it wasn't pleasant. And a thorn was given him. It was from a messenger of Satan. And it was harassing. It was tormenting. Is it from Satan or is it from God? Wait a minute. The thorn was given Paul so that Paul would not become proud. That is the very thing Satan wants you to be. Pride. Satan will not give you anything or suggest anything to you that will not in the end destroy you. He won't. And so if he's going to give you anything that will restrain you from pride, he wouldn't give it to you. He will only give you the thing that will fan your pride and self-exaltation and boasting into flame. And so what Paul is talking about here is that the Lord Jesus, God himself, through Christ, by the power of the spirits, used Satan to work against Satan's will in Paul. What Satan wanted was that Paul would become conceited and proud and boastful in himself. And then God has a sense of humor. A messenger of Satan brings this thorn so that it will keep Paul from doing the exact thing that Satan wanted him to do, become proud. Isn't that the case at the cross? Before the Lord Jesus ascended the cross, what happened, in the God, uh, what happened at the table? The Lord's Supper. We are told that Satan entered Judas. And then Judas went away. And Judas betrayed Jesus with the hope of destroying the Messiah. And the Messiah was killed. And he was lifted up at the cross. What happened? It was through the cross that God the Father destroyed the work of Satan. By bringing us in, that we may reflect Jesus. <laughs> so to keep me from becoming conceited, your thorn was giving you a messenger of Satan, oh, to destroy the work of Satan, to keep me Christ-like. So suffering in the believer's life, in the servant's life, is permitted by God. Even Satan's work is used by God to transform our hearts. We may sometimes look at other believers' thorn. The thorn of health challenges that seem to persist and hardships and calamities and all kinds of delays and suffering for doing God's work and be tempted. We will be tempted as we are to think that perhaps God is punishing them or they are not actually working in God's will. 
Because we like the super apostles who boast in all their loftiness. We don't even understand the place of suffering in God's hands to transform us for his glory. Paul here says that his thorn was precisely because he had this deep and glorious revelations from God. Revelations that make him that could have made him so proud. And God has shown him something, something that shouldn't be said. He could go around and be saying it, right? So that people would think very well of him. He could stand, perhaps the Lord showed him things about people. He could stand in front of the church and call them so that you know that Paul today. Oh no, the Lord says these things not be uttered, uh, um, said. So he wouldn't say it. And then the Lord gives him what he needs. And so here is it. Christ lovingly, lovingly, believe it or not, Christ lovingly gave Paul a thorn in his flesh. In Kase, on his skin. You know what God is doing using outside suffering that we feel? Oh, whether it's health challenges or whatever Paul went through and hardship and insults and hatred and all these other things. You know what, what God is doing? It's not really about wherever it's coming from. God uses outside suffering to deal with a bigger problem in our hearts for his glory. He does that. If he permits it, if it comes to his children, if it comes to his servant, there is a bigger problem in the servant's heart that needs dealing with. There's a bigger problem. See, that way, God is not haphazard. Like, he's not basa basa. He's not just all over the place. He cares about his children. And when he permits something and it's persisting and you've prayed and you've prayed and you've prayed and it's still persisting, trust your heavenly father. It's not just a matter of giving you a breakthrough. May he do whatever he wants to do in our hearts. But suffering itself isn't enjoyable, brothers and sisters. It's not enjoyable at all. It's tears and hard prayer. It's questions and confusion and so on and so forth. And therefore, even Paul asks three times. Three times is sufficient. He asks God three times. He's asking, will you please deliver me? Will you please take it away from me? Verse 8. We're told, three times I pleaded with the Lord to take it away from me. And then Jesus' response is amazing. The Lord says, no, I will not take it away. Isn't that amazing? No, I will not take it away. I will use it to display my glorious grace in you. Verse 9, but he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you. For my power is made perfect in weakness. In suffering, for every believer, for the Apostle Paul for sure, and for every believer who believes in the testimony that Paul testifies to, in suffering, the grace of God is 
sufficient. Sufficient to do all that God wants to do. It is sufficient. And so your weakness, your suffering, he says, your weakness, your suffering is my chosen means of displaying my power, the power of my grace in you to change your hearts. Now, how does God actually use thorn to change us? How does he do it? Now, let me mention a lot of it, but let me mention Three. How does God use thorn to, this, to change us? The first one is this. Suffering makes us see our weakness and help, helplessness without Jesus. Have you had that experience? Suffering makes us see our weakness and helplessness without Jesus. That's one thing that suffering does. When the thing is beyond your ability. Number two, how does God use it? Suffering amplifies our cry to Jesus. Now, Jesus himself knows that, isn't it? When he was in the Garden of Gethsemane, as the children were reminding us of. What happened? Cried out. Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass me by. Paul is repeating that. And then the father said, no, 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 you've got to go through this. Not because your heart needs change, but because the people's heart needs change. And when they are in Christ, our suffering will amplify our cry to Jesus. And then the Spirit of God works through we being humbled by our weaknesses and our suffering and pain so that we experience Christ even more. And so this is what it actually looks like. If it is pride or whatever it is that the Lord really wants to shine his glory on and transform and change and heal us, this is how he may use a thorn in Paul's life. Through suffering, he will learn to die each day to the old self of pride. Dying each day to it. Self-dependence and boasting in ourselves and achievements and looking down on others. Uh, we begin to die to this every day. And not only that, as one thing is being killed in us, the life of Christ becomes, becomes even more, shining through the resurrection life. And so when we say that I've been crucified with Christ, as Paul says, and I no longer live, but Christ lives in me, and the life I now live in the body, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. This is what is going on. Paul is saying that in this life that I live every day, whatever means the Lord will use, it will result in two things. Me dying to self and me living Christ's life. The two things will be happening at the same time. And I dare 
suggest to you that God is doing this even through your pain. How then should we respond? As a final point. How then should we, should I respond in my suffering and pain and thorn? Our response must flow from a certain understanding. And that understanding is actually in the text. And Paul points it out. It's in verse 9 and verse 10. But he said to me, verse 9, my grace is sufficient for you. My power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, Paul says, I will boast all the more gladly about my weakness so that Christ's power may rest on me. That is why verse 10, for Christ's sake, I delight in weakness, in insult, in hardship, in persecution, in difficulty. For when I am weak, I am strong. After all, who are we to be insulted? We are nothing. Oh, my reputation is being destroyed. What is your reputation? And so how should we respond? Get this understanding first. And now tell us from the text how we respond. What is going on here is this. In suffering, Jesus pours out sufficient grace to change us. Suffering is not just to inflict pain. That is not the goal of suffering when it comes to our loving Heavenly Father. It is always the avenue where he pours this grace that is sufficient. Sufficient to do all the work God wants to do in us. He pours it to change us. Transforms us from within. Secondly, we need to understand that Jesus' power is seen more perfectly. It is not perfected. His power is not like brought to completion because we are weak. No. Our weaknesses shows its perfection. It is show, it, it, our weaknesses show how strong Jesus' strength is. That his power is even able to work through our pain. Our pain cannot stop what he wants to do. The other understanding is this, verse 10. Christians grow in strength through weakness. I know, this one, I'm not saying it well. Do you know how Christians actually grow great? Christians grow great. They become great by becoming small. Christians grow strong by becoming weak, by seeing their weakness and throwing themselves on the only one who is strong enough to change, to transform, and to save, the Lord Jesus. The more we experience our own inabilities and weakness, the more we depend on the Spirit, and the more Jesus makes us strong by the Spirit, and the more we display his glory in Christ 
likeness. And therefore, having this understanding, how then should I respond? How then should I respond if when you go to school, I'm talking to you youngsters right now, and because you are Christians, people laugh at you. Because you are Christians, people think you're crazy, you're not cool, and all these other things. It's cool to be a Christian, but the world thinks it's not. When that happens, what, what should you do? Is it that Jesus has abandoned you and things are happening to you and it's not fun and you know what is going on here? No, he hasn't abandoned you. What he's going to use is he's going to work through people laughing at you and people making life difficult for you at school. And he's going to show how strong he is as Jesus in your life before them to see. And so how should we respond? Verse 9, he tells us, boast all the more gladly in your weakness. We don't talk like that in our setting. How do you boast? You are, you are allowing Satan. You are accepting defeat. No, that's not what Paul is talking about. This is not acceptance of defeat. Because Paul realizes what weakness is in the hands of the Lord. And so if it, this is what the Lord would do through weakness, Lord, may you do more through weakness. Give more weakness that I may depend on you more. And so bring it on if you like. If it is weakness, a thorn in my flesh, ouch, this is painful. But Lord, if this is how Christ's glory and honor in transforming me will be displayed by your power, let it be. And so we will boast of it. We will be able to say, yes, 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 I'm not an eloquent speaker, but what does it matter? That is what Paul is doing. He's shaming them. He is not an eloquent speaker. Yeah, I'm not an eloquent speaker, but what does it matter? Christ's word still goes out anyway. Oh, you see, Paul is coming and even his eyesight isn't very good. And look at the way he's walking. And look at what he's wearing. And Paul says that what does it matter? His power is displayed anyway. I boast all the more gladly in my weakness. It is not that I pretend it doesn't exist. Or I don't feel the pain. I have a certain gospel understanding. The second one is this. He tells us, be content, verse 10. Be content with your weakness. Ah, that one too, Christians shouldn't talk like that, isn't it? How can I be content with such suffering and pain? No, 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 no. He's not glorifying the pain and the weakness. That's not what he's doing. He's showing us what that looks like in the hands of the master. Why should I be content with weakness? Why? Because Jesus' sufficient grace is experienced in weakness. In my weakness. I've often wondered why, and maybe you have also made that observation, why the more matured Christian, those that we call more matured Christians, the godly older saints, and what a privilege to work with some, I realized something, and I've been trying to get my head around it. They are far less boastful of their godliness and achievement in life and ministry. 
They are far less boastful. And yet, they make so much of the sufficient grace of God in Jesus. Get some and talk with them. I just watch their life. How is it that they live their life this way? As though they had done nothing. If you begin to talk of their credentials, you see them, if they are white, you see them going red. And if they are dark skinned, they go gray. You're embarrassing them. And the reason is that they understand what Paul is talking about. We are so weak. And yet his grace has been so sufficient. Um, let me end this way. Paul Miller in... Uh, are you related to Paul Miller? In his book, J.K., if you haven't read this book, I recommend it. He says this. As we mature as Christians, the flesh potentially becomes deadlier. We become more aware of our sin because we know more. We are wiser. We see it. Consequently, we can judge others more quickly and easily. So the more we grow in grace, the more grace we need. Let me finish off by reading the passage for us. 2 Corinthians 12. So to keep me from becoming conceited, because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations, a thorn was given me in the flesh, a messenger of Satan to harass me, to keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about that, that it should leave me. But he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I will boast all the more gladly of my weakness, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content with weakness, insults, hardship, persecution, and calamities. For when I am weak, then I am strong. Let me pray. Take a moment and reflect on these things. Father, we pray that in the midst of weakness in preaching, that your sufficient grace will be poured out on all of us, that we will truly hear and grasp that which you want us to hear and see by the power of your Spirit in your word. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. We will sing, and then we will share in the Holy Communion together. So let me make this point about the Lord's table. This is for Christians, those who are trusting in Christ as having died for them and having been raised for them. 
Jesus as their Lord and Jesus as their Savior and trusting him every day. If that is the case for you, we share in this to speak out, to declare what God has done for us through Jesus in the power of the Spirit. By all means, receive these elements, the bread and the drink with thanks to God, with worship and humility in your heart. If you cannot say at this point that you are a child of God and that Christ died for you and you have asked Jesus God to forgive you your sin and receive you as his child and for Christ to come and live in your heart. You can't say that even though you've been coming to church for some time now. I wouldn't just say that don't eat it. No, it's for Christians. So don't, but you can. How can you? Turn your heart to Jesus. Don't trust in you being good or don't think you are too bad that Jesus won't save. Even now, as I speak to you, in your heart and through prayer, you can ask God for forgiveness. He will forgive you if you mean it. And you are prepared to turn from your sin. Sin is turning our backs on God. And wanting to go our own way rather than God's way. And you say, I don't want to go my own way. That's why we call Jesus Lord. I want to go his way and Savior. But I can't do it myself. So I throw myself on him. You can pray that prayer right now. As a teen. You can ask Jesus to come into your heart right now anybody else and then join in and have it and if you do today please when we close come come to me and said I give my life to Christ through prayer quietly and then I will help you along the way or if you have questions a lot of questions going on in your mind about what is, does it mean to be a Christian or will Jesus truly accept me come and let's talk as well we don't want you to remain in your sin. And by the way, if you share some stuff, I'm not going to use it for sermon illustration. You'll be fine. That's why I serve you as your pastor. There are some things I have to go to my grave with. Receive Jesus as your Lord and save the personal Savior through prayer. So we'll sing and then we'll share in the Holy Communion.